0: Staffing as a cultural foundation in a law firm with Andrew Wilcox, episode 302. Are you ready to make your law firm a profit-generating machine that will free up your time and skyrocket your impact? With more than two decades of business growth experience and having proven that you can be successful while prioritizing your family and your impact, Introducing the Profit with Law podcast. I am your host, the creator of the firm differentiator 10x effect, Moshe Amsel. Well, hello and welcome to another amazing guest interview here on the Profit with Law podcast. I'm your host Moshe Amsel and I have a wonderful treat today because one of the areas that I think is what the most important growth area for a law firm is staffing their firm, is hiring people to do the, do the work. If the law firm owner holds on to that work, if they are trying to do things themselves, they're going to be crippling the growth of their firm. The, the name of the game when running a business is to have more inventory to sell. And in a law firm, that inventory is your human capital. And the more inventory you have, the more money you can make, and ultimately, the better life you can lead. So we want to have conversations that revolve around getting the right people in the right place. And how do you, how do you then maximize that and grow it from there? And there's no better person to be talking to us about that than our guest today, who's Andrew Wilcox. Andrew Wilcox is the founder and owner of Wilcox and Hackett, and uh, Wilcox and Hackett is a legal recruiting and consulting firm. So, uh, Andrew's he's got the, he's got the goods, and we're going to have a conversation today to really try to pick his brain and figure out. Uh, how we can help you in this process. So let me just tell you a little bit about Andrew. Uh, I already told you he's the founder and owner of Wilcox and Hackett, a legal re- recruiting and consulting firm. Uh, there, that, was, uh, that consulting firm was awarded one of the top 100 businesses for Florida State University, where he graduated from the business school in 1996. When Andrew isn't helping place attorneys, he's enjoying some of his favorite activities, which include reading, researching, genealogy, volunteering at church and his community, hiking and traveling. This love for travel took him and his family to all 50 state capitals, presidential libraries, and most parks around the country. So those are all things that I would love to do and have not done. Andrew lives in Florida with his wife and daughters. Andrew, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, it's good to be here.
0: It is really good to have you. I really appreciate you spending the time with us. So daughters, how many daughters you got?
1: I have two daughters. one at
0: 18 and one 14. Beautiful, beautiful. Those are rough ages, but beautiful, <laughs> beautiful <laughs> family. And I love girls. Um, I've got four of them uh, and they are lovely. So uh, I, I love having an, another, another family man, family woman here on the show. Uh, but let's talk about the, the subject matter at hand before we dive into specifics, details. You've got a lens on the industry that perhaps many people don't, and I certainly may not um, have been sitting in your role. What do, you, what do you think the number one challenge today for law firms when it comes to staffing their firm is?
1: Um, well, specifically in the last couple of years has been trying to meet attorneys where they are, um, whether that's working remotely, working hybrid, Uh, Trying to integrate people into an office, trying to create a culture within that firm that enables young associates to be mentored and to be brought along and to kind of create a a place of being, I guess, for their career for the long term, but also creating a bit of a unique um, setting for lateral attorneys or for partners or or groups for for people to want to go and practice there. Um, Everybody, uh, most firms of a certain size Sell the same thing, uh, which is we're, we have X amount of attorneys, we have X amount of offices, we're the number one on this list and that list and everything else. But I think um, a lot, most attorneys hear some variation of that, but that's not unique to them. Um, and I think so, for them to, to have a firm that is a firm that they could grow in, that they could be with for the long term, and to be part of a larger culture, part of a larger community. Um, And frankly, I think that's where a lot of firms struggle is trying to meet people where they are, Uh, as I said, with associates and and offering them an opportunity for them to grow in their careers and their practice, but also for attorneys who they may may be partners somewhere else and, and they're looking for something that really makes them enjoy waking up in the morning and going to work and practicing law, because um, they don't want to be siloed. They don't want to just work with uh, other people and be a cog in the wheel. They, they do. They went to law school for a reason. They want to practice law for a reason. And I think trying to find that match of a good platform for people to be able to work in.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I love that. And um, one, so one of the things that you mentioned is you know creating an environment where young attorneys can come in and, and get mentored and, and stuff like that. In your in, in your view, is that is, is that the best hiring process for somebody who's maybe a small-size law firm, there's just a few attorneys. Um, should they be going for that young attorney or should they be looking for more, maybe more somebody more experienced, pay a little bit more, and not have to worry about cultivating somebody. Um, and and getting them, you know, getting them trained up, where uh, they can kind of short short circuit that process a little bit.
1: Well, for for the smaller firms, it's it's become really a challenge. I, I've probably had ten conversations over the last two weeks with attorneys at smaller firms that, at some point in the conversation, they said, "Hey, we're looking for an associate, uh, a corporate associate, or litigation associate, or this or that." And everybody, um, including the large law firms, are having difficulty finding. Quality candidates. Um, and the issue if, if you're a smaller firm is those good candidates, and even what people would say are kind of average candidates, are getting thrown ridiculous sums of money at them by these large law firms. And because large law firms, they just, it, it's its not uh, used to be a few years ago, you had to graduate in the top 5% of your class, you had to be at the top law school, and everything else. And, and even some of them have had to compromise. On some of that, just to be able to have warm bodies to be able to do the work because they've been so busy. Um, the tough thing about that is, if you're a small firm, is you have to decide how much you want to pay associates. Um, because a large law firm can come in and outbid you. So you, you really have a couple of ways um, to to maintain keep your people. Is um, there has to be that chasm between okay, I'm, I may not be getting paid as much as I would be at a AM law firm or some large law firm that's in the area. Um, what I'm doing here is important. I'm working with really good people. That pain of leaving, leaving some money on the table and going to more money and a larger firm and all that, I, I, have, to, I have to be able to bridge that gap somehow. And for small law firms, right. that's, that's really challenging. Um, the, the biggest thing that they have to sell to younger associates is uh, that collegial atmosphere and, and really just enjoying the people that you work with. And it, it's tough to overcome that when you're talking about in some cases double the salary. Um, right. But if it's 10000 dollars, if a law firm can make that up in some way or has some other levers that they could pull, whether that's um, leadership or mentoring or uh, the ability to to see a courtroom, whereas a lot of these larger firms they may be coming in and doing a lot of research and some of those things, but they may not be able to. They may not be able to try cases. Um, they mm-hmm. they could do that at some smaller firms, and so. There are some unique things that these smaller law firms can offer, but um, if if uh, if a large law firm wants to come in and, and throw a lot of money at them, that's just an uphill battle.
0: Right. So, what is the what is the thing that a law firm should be focusing on when they're they're going out to the marketplace and they're going to hire somebody? Like what if? Should they be focusing on the experience level? Should they be focusing on the personality? Should they be focusing on a, a fit? I mean, you mentioned um, the the culture of the firm. Uh, you know, should they be should they be looking for somebody who fits that culture? Like what where, where should the focus be in the search of putting right. the next person in?
1: Well, I think for smaller firms, one of the things I enjoy working with smaller firms because um, they spend a lot more time in the interviewing process, in my experience, not all the time, but most of the time, because at a large law firm, let's face it, if you get somebody who is not that great to work with, uh, they may be a really good attorney, but they're just uh, personality-wise, culturally, they're just not that that great of a person to work with, but they're a talented attorney – at a large law firm, they could be kind of tucked away somewhere. Um, isolated, I guess, from other folks, and either they will leave on their own or they'll find that isolation and be able to work perfectly fine within that isolation. Smaller law firms, there's nowhere to hide. And if they swing and miss on a on a candidate only to find out six months later that they, uh, that's not the right fit for their organization, they take a huge financial hit um, and a cultural hit. Um, you know if, if you've got one or two bed, people to work with within a smaller law firm that, that permeates pretty quickly throughout that entire firm. Um, like I said, if you're at a thousand person law firm, well, you're going to have, you're going to have your A players, B players, and C players. And sometimes you could just put those C players, uh, in a room somewhere, or, or, you know, have them isolated somewhere. Um, but that being said, I think as far as the, the smaller law firms, what they can do is, yeah, I, I, I always tell people to recommend, or I recommend, um, Uh, meeting at different times of the day, um, breaking bread with people. I know that sounds kind of old fashioned, but um, having different people within the organization meet with them. Um, Just a little anecdote here several years ago, but I had somebody who interviewed with a firm in South Florida that one of the people that they were interviewing with was a former associate of somebody they went to law school with. And when the partner left the room, they decided that they wanted to get really casual in that conversation, and um, the person—they've known them since law school. They were friends and everything else. But the person came back and said, you know, they just—they um, didn't take this very seriously. Um, you know, and so sometimes you, you have different um, power levels within a law firm that they'll interview people. And how do they how do they treat the administrative staff? If it's somebody who they interview differently with a partner at a law firm than they do a, an administrator. Um, that tells you a lot because let's face it, um, probably for a partner, there's nobody who has more value to them than their administrative assistant or paralegal. And if that person interviews and they decide, okay, well, I, I want to treat them differently or talk to them differently, or I can't believe I'm, they kind of give off that air of, I can't believe I'm talking to this person when, you know, I should be talking to the managing partner of the firm and only that person that tells you a lot about how that person respects and works with other people. Um, so, there's a lot of different things like that. Um, you know, it goes back to some old fashioned things like showing up and on time and having your cell phone, leaving that in the car. Um, you know, I've had plenty of times where people still answer calls and texts in the middle of an interview. Um, so, there's a lot of things like that, surprisingly, that you can glean from somebody as to how valuable they see the time of interviewing with a firm or not. And, um, like I said, I, I, I think with with smaller law firms, it's extremely important for them to have. People meet the administrators, the paralegals, the uh, everybody that's within the firm and, and get a good gauge on who that person is. And, and you want that person to have a good gauge as to what that firm is important because in smaller firms, it is a lot more collegial of an environment. And you are going to have get-togethers after work and uh, you, you start developing – that secret sauce within a small law firm where people go to each other's kids' graduations and weddings and parties and those type of things, those are things that, that's reasons why people want to go to a small law firm. And if, if small law firms could, or smaller law firms can paint that picture for uh, attorneys, then it's very compelling. Um, You know, I, I think a lot of people want to be part of a community and it's, it's really tough to be part of a community with a thousand two thousand person firm that doesn't make that a priority to have people enjoy the people that they work with
0: yeah absolutely um so switching gears to retention for a moment um because we we talked about getting somebody in the door but what if you already have somebody on staff uh i mean they're one of the Problems in the industry is is this turnover that that happens where you know so you get somebody they're they're in place you get them fully trained they're producing and then they up and leave right um, and that can be very costly to the law firm uh, because there's a lot of expense in the front end where they're not producing to the level that they need to be producing at. And then when they leave, it leaves a gaping hole, and it becomes very difficult for the people around them, because now they have to carry that work until the next person's put in place, which could be a while, especially if you're following the guidelines that we just set out with, you know, how to to actually bring somebody on. That takes time to, to do those things properly. So... What do you think the the challenges are when it comes to retaining somebody, and what can how can law firms do a better job with with that retention um, as they navigate the leadership role?
1: Well, let's face it you, you're going to have a certain amount of attorneys that, especially at, at an age where if they get offered, um, you know, say you've got an associate that's making one hundred and thirty or one hundred and forty thousand dollars a year, and a firm comes along and offers them another 30 40 50 thousand dollars a year you know what you're gonna have a tough time bridging that gap um and you're going to have a certain amount of people that just that walk um and, and that's that's part of either, either you're going to raise your rates um and you're going to pay associates higher than what you believe that uh, you feel comfortable doing to maintain them but that that to me is a short-term fix um because at some point the uh it's like back in 07 and 08, I, well, I guess more 08, uh, when the bottom fell out, those are the first, first folks to go. Um, <laughs> unfortunately. So the loyalty has to work both ways within a law firm. Um, and let's face it when the market goes South, uh, the people who are costing the most to, uh, to keep employed are the, probably the first ones to go. But in, in terms of the, the retention, um, if I had to boil it down to one key thing, it would be communication. Um, when, when attorneys get calls from people like me that do what I do, um, the frustrations that I hear typically are business oriented. Um, I, I, try not to, I try not to work with people who they're looking to make moves for dramatic reasons. In other words, you know I got to do a fight with my managing partner or somebody here slammed the door or uh, there's a disagreement. I, I, I try to tell people, hey, if it's a disagreement between somebody else that you could work it out, then, then go work it out. If it's a business reason why you're looking to make a move, um, hey, you know what, I, I, my bill rate's too high, my bill rate's too low. I'm, I'm at a firm where they're not letting me generate my own clients. Um, I want to be able to have the power to be able to do that. My firm's not investing in me. Um, you know, I, I really have a national uh, platform or a na- uh, national client base, but I don't have a national platform to leverage that with or other practice areas to leverage that with. Well, th- those are business reasons why people want to make a move. And sometimes you can address, uh, address those and sometimes you can't. Um, I mean, I had somebody several years ago who um, they interviewed with a firm for two months that I was working with them on. They got an offer and they went back to their firm and said, um, I'm taking this other offer from another firm. And their firm said, well, we didn't. The, the main reason why they they were commuting for an hour uh, to the office and the firm said, well, we don't want to lose you. If it means that we'll open up a small office for you down by where you live, we'll keep you. Well, that would have been a conversation they should have had from the very beginning, but they were almost afraid to. And the firm opened up a small office for them. They stayed with the firm. They were perfectly happy. Well, in the meantime, they've gone through and interviewed uh, for two months and they've created this whole other side, you know, drama and everything else when they didn't necessarily need to do that. But if if it comes down to one thing, I would say communication, Um, um, you know, communicating what the values are of the firm, but really getting buy in from. Everybody within the organization. If it's an associate that feels like they're not getting mentorship, then try to figure out how to how to become better mentors to them. If it's somebody that um, they want to develop their own practice, well, when they're associates, having them tie in with somebody who is a, a business generator or a rainmaker, and not just you know paying lip service to that, but but really trying to bring them along and help them with their career. If it's something that. I want to do more pro bono work or whatever, then let's figure a way for you to to do some of that. Because one of the key issues in my experience with attorneys is, is dealing with mental health side of, of the practice of law. And if you're getting what you want out of your career at your law firm, um, there is a financial trade-off that people are willing to make if they're happy where they are. And the pain of making a move over to a large firm or to another firm um, just isn't worth it to them. Because you know what? I'm working with really good people. They invest in me. They take the time with me. Uh, if I need anything, they enable me to have it. Um, I work with good attorneys um, and, and just generally good character people. But when you leave people out of that communication, um, when they get calls from people like me, they'll answer them. Um, you know, and Another one is succession planning. I, I have an attorney that I work with here in Florida that They've been with the same firm since they were law clerks, uh, they were associates, now they're partners, love the people they work with, um, but the firm's getting a bit older and um, they know that. All the partners are approaching 70 years old and um, they said if there's a succession plan, they haven't told us what it is. And this is a partner that's been with this firm for probably 20 years. So you would think that 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 person would be the next generation of that firm. They would be mentored and they would be able to move into a position of leadership Um, But they don't know. I mean, somebody could walk in tomorrow and say, I don't want to practice law anymore. Three people may end up leaving, or they want to become of counsel or whatever. And um, that attorney just says, yeah, you know what, I want to control my own destiny, not uh, just leave this to the whims of somebody who isn't communicating what the values are and what the direction of the firm is.
0: Right. Right. I, I'm wondering why in, in that respect, you know, that, that specific example, that person um, doesn't feel like they're empowered enough to be able to initiate that conversation. In other words, why, why do they have to sit around and wait and hope? that that conversation is going to be had. I mean, clearly people who are in their seventies and and running a law firm and not having this conversation are just in denial about where they are, what their stage is in life. Um, you know, so maybe they need to take the reins and and run with it. Um, so I'm just, I'm curious about that dynamic, but you're absolutely right. The, the communication and and being able to it's not just it's not just the communication outbound but it's the communication inbound right so giving your yeah. employees an opportunity to be heard and to really listen to them and understand what's important to them because it's not all about the money yeah uh you know it, yeah, it's and
1: and i and i've told associates this and i've told partners this is um if you do anything for money you'll never have enough of it and um you know you're you're talking about a, a, practice that um, you know everybody thinks that that attorneys are multi-millionaires and they see all the commercials and they align with well that person's flying this jet and that jet and everything else there's a lot of attorneys who aren't doing that um, you know they, they have their own shingle that they're hanging and uh, they're just waiting for stuff to come through the door and they're good attorneys that's just how they practice but um, you know the the idea and I've talked to several attorneys over the years that um, I have to make three hundred four hundred thousand dollars just to keep the lights on and um, at home and and so they they're in a position as well where they've they've got to make the same compensation just to be able to cover all of the rest of what they have created in their lives rather than saying, "I just want to do the work, and if I do good work with good people and I treat my clients well and, and everything else, that money will be there um, I'll have a long term career I'll have fulfillment in that um, but if you leave to go take another job for fifteen twenty thousand dollars, and then that at some point you'll spend up to that amount and then You'll start spending and, and then it becomes, okay, well, I need to go to another firm because I need to keep making more money. Um, listen, making money is fantastic. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. But um, and, and, and why I do, I, I want the attorneys I work with to make the most money they can <laughs> for obvious reasons. Right. But I, I, also, I also caution people that, hey, if you go in and, and you want to squeeze a firm for every dime that you can make um, and you want to put yourself in, a, in an awkward position, you also put a big target on your, on your back. Um, you better produce. Um, you, you better do everything that you promised that you said you could do, um, or you could go in and, and get what everybody else is getting with the opportunity to grow uh, and, and make more if you all meet your mutually delivered, uh, uh, mutually agreed upon deliverables and, and all that. Um, and you could you could practice someplace and, and do good work. Um, but anyway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, and, I think that it all boils down to, you know, understanding what people want, uh, because we said it's not all about the money, but what is it about? Well, some people want prestige. Some people want flexibility. Some people want time. You know, everyone has different things that they want, but if you're in tune to what your folks are looking for, uh, you know, like your example with the guy who just didn't want to commute an hour every day, you know, if you had known that that was the case, and I have a personal experience with that I was working for a software company I used to be in IT I was working for a software company they were pre-IPO um, I was a catch for them I was I, you know I was in their customer uh, service department and I you know I was probably the lead customer service rep and and they could have there, there was a lot of potential I had there but I was commuting an hour to get there and I got I, I got a job that was around the corner for me and they yeah. um you know after the fact came, you know, came to me and said, Oh, if it's just about the, the commute, you know, we can solve that. You can work remotely. We can, you know, blah, blah, blah. Bottom line is, is that it was, it was too, it was, it was a little bit too little too late. Um, but being in tune with what your you know what your people want, what their needs are, uh, can really allow you to provide an environment for them. Where if somebody else comes to knock in and says, "Hey, you should come here," they'll be like, "No, I'm taking care of where I am. I have all my needs met. They're doing exactly what I asked them to or what I told them. Share with them that I wanted, um, and this is where you know this is where I need to be." So. Um, well, and yeah, I think
1: I, one of the unique differentiators to that point is the uh, this hybrid or remote platform that, um, it was funny, a, a couple of years ago, I, I was working with the firms that are, they, they kind of practice heavily in the remote um, space, working with law firms. I do a lot of work with them still, <laughs> but when I talk to people pre-COVID about that, it seemed like I was educating a lot of people on what that looks like and and how that works. And well, that sounds interesting. That's probably where the practice of law is going, but um, I, I can't not work in an office and I can never work from home. Never, never, never until they had to. And now you have a lot of people that they want to work from home. And, um, or if I go to an office, I just want to go to an office two, three days a week. I don't, that idea of, I need to be at the office. I need to put on my, my suit, drive into town, drive to a building, go up into a building to, to practice law from this time to this time. And then the additional pressure of, um, some law firms, as old fashioned as it seems, they just want people to kind of hang around. Um, and you know, people in my experience in the last couple of years have found different times of the day, they're working more hours, they're billing more hours. They're just working different times of the day. So that time that they were spending an hour commuting in and an hour commuting at the end of the day I hear plenty of people say they get up at three o'clock in the morning, they knock out some emails and then they go work out. Um, they'll have breakfast with their family. They'll take their kids to school. They'll come back and they work a few more hours. And then you know, after dinner, they'll work a few more hours as opposed to going to a building and doing that from let's say eight till six o'clock or seven or whatever. Um, so they're just working different hours. And I think a lot of people have adjusted to that. <clears throat> a lot of people want to get back to an office but I think the the, the answer somewhere in the middle of, I'd like to have an office for me to be able to meet up with my team two, three days a week or one day a week for us to strategize, see each other, um, enjoy each other's company and community. And then I want to be able to go back to what I do and then uh, come back. And as long as I have the resources to be able to do that, uh, um, I think people have found that
0: new normal. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Um, when, I mean, you, you do staffing, but you also do, cons, you know, uh, uh, consulting. What, what does that look like? Is there, are there other aspects to this that we haven't covered besides for finding people and retaining them? Like what are the other portions of what you do, um, that we can dive into?
1: Right. Well, I do, um, also client development consulting with law firms and, and I guess to a certain degree, business practice, uh, consulting, but, On the client development side, my my background prior to owning my business back in 2003 was I was your friendly neighborhood Westlaw rep, but I I was in sales and sales methodology. And um, as people don't want to necessarily call it sales in the legal field, it's client development. But in my experience, you have people who've been in law school, for the most part, you have people who've been in law school, they come out, they practice law, and they're really good attorneys, but they've never had to have a business conversation before. They've never had to uh, engage with a prospective client or talk to a existing client and be able to walk them through a sales process. It's just a matter of okay, well the phone rings and we get business, and my the the practice group leader or the whoever the partner is I'm working with just divvies out the work and and somehow uh, every year the the numbers always get met. Well, that's that's interesting. And and when you talk to attorneys that what I call unconscious competence, that every year there's just a book of business that keeps flowing in. Um, if you had them really break down how they developed that client base could be kind of an institutional client base for them now, you know, five, 10, 15 year clients or longer, but somewhere along the way, they had to have a business conversation with somebody at a company or an organization that walked them through what it is that they were not achieving or what they needed or where their uh, risk was or something, How, how they're able to transact business in some way that required the services of, a, of an attorney. Um, and oh, by the way, I happen to be an attorney and let me do work for you. Well, there's more to it than that. So walking them through, um, engaging with them and, and asking questions of potential clients and really finding out what their overall goals are and getting all of this out and trying to identify not just, okay, well, how could I do your legal work in this narrow area? But let me understand your entire organization so that Yes, I could, I could handle that. But if there's an issue that comes from outside of this, maybe I I know somebody that that can help you with that problem too. And and fundamentally it's, I want to be able to help people solve their problems. And if it's, I'm working with a company on their commercial real estate needs, but I know that they also have a liability matter or a tax matter or labor and employment matter that I could help them address. And I could put the right people in touch with them to be able to help them address that. Well, that's just part of that's part of sales that's client development and um, in my experience working with associates um, firms are, are in that weird balance of we want to be able to grow our associates we want to make them partners someday but and those partners have to generate business they're good associates but how do we how do we teach them the skills for them to be able to learn to develop that business or if they're partners you know how do we get somebody who's a partner that has 250 or five hundred thousand dollars in quote unquote business to get up to a million or a million five or two million dollars, and leveraging some of uh, the internal processes they have, the other practice areas that they have, and, and frankly some of the advantages that that firm has that they sell themselves on, their bullet points that they sell themselves on. You know what good is it to have two thousand attorneys and twenty-seven offices and all these practice areas if you don't know how to be able to take the information that potential clients have and what their issues are. And be able to plug the people in from your firm and all of those resources to help those clients satisfy those those needs and solve those problems.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is all really interesting and uh, you know highlighting the the different challenges when it comes to leadership, staffing and 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 all of that has just been um, really eye-opening. It's just uh, there's it's something that we don't focus on enough. And it's like the hidden, the hidden thing that, you know, it's beneath the surface, you know, we can monitor numbers, we can see how much revenue is coming in, we can see how much, you know, the expenses are going out, but it's hard to put a price tag or, or you know, tie a dollar amount to somebody who's a good fit to somebody who's really you know, helping make things cook versus somebody who's really dragging on the firm. Um, and it's an interesting, interesting challenge to, to be in the role of, of the leader to recognize who your A players are and who, you know, who are the boat anchors in your firm. Do you have, um, do you have any sort of, uh, you know, uh, tools, tips, tricks for somebody to be able to to gauge that at, in, as they're Traversing through, you know, through the years, and you know they've got people on staff who are there. Uh, how do you measure productivity? How do you how do you determine whether somebody is is you know operating at their best? Or I, I think a lot of people are just sitting in in the dark. Like it, I think that they're doing their job, but you know they they're not really clear on on what that is.
1: Well, and, and unfortunately, or unfortunately, when you are in the practice of law your productivity is measured in six minute increments right so um if you're billing a lot and you're collecting a lot um then for the most part firms are pretty happy um you know it, it, i think some of it you're able to measure what your receivables are um what your actual uh, receivables are you know if, if you're if you're collecting a lot and without getting too much in the weeds but if you're collecting most of what you're billing out uh, for the most part, I, I would say your clients are happy. Well, then that indicates that if your clients are happy and the people are billing and they're doing a good job for you as a firm, then that's mostly what firms want. And now, the, the other side of that is, and i talked to plenty of firms that will tell me, uh, I don't care if a person has a $10 million book of business, if they're, no, if, if they're, uh, if they're a bad person or uh, to, I'll, I'll leave it at that, they, what they tell me what their quote unquote policy is uh, you know, in terms of the type of person they don't want. Um, You know, because all it takes is a person like that that can come in and um, they become a cancer in the clubhouse Um, and a group will leave or another partner will leave or it just becomes so dramatic within that firm that um, you could see a hundred person firm uh, break off into splinters and people start having closed door meetings. And then, you know, you start leaving, you start losing some real good people and real good groups because of this now acquisition or this one person or this small group that's come in. And that's that's a, at the practice group leader, there are some firms that they have a fantastic reputation, but um, even the leadership of the firm knows that it's darn near impossible to recruit for a certain office because the managing partner of that office may be one of the best in their field, but they're a tyrant to work with. Um, and, or a practice group leader that uh, boy, I'd love to work with that firm, but I, that practice group leader is notorious for calling people at three o'clock in the morning and chewing them out and um, and treating them very unprofessionally, and that practice group leader has a you know eight-figure book of business, but nobody wants to work with them. So it's it's a trade-off for some of those firms. Um, they could isolate some of those folks, but that that becomes increasingly difficult. Um, in my experience, you have to, um, if I could borrow an NFL term here, you have to protect the shield, um, right. and that sometimes is at the detriment of having really good attorneys work with you. But once you know what your culture is, and firms that actually spend a lot of time um, identifying what their values and their culture are, um, you you just have to make an understanding or have an understanding that that's not going to be deviated from. Um, And that includes people that are there already. That includes the type of people that would be coming in. Um, If they do not fit you culturally, and you could run them through the interview process, you could... Uh, try to speak with other people even though you're not supposed to call other employees and and, uh, and all that kind of stuff a lot of these firms they know the reputation on some of these attorneys um, probably better than you know the secret service would know the background on on people and all that but um, you you develop a reputation pretty quick as an attorney that is good to work with or not good to work with and um, let there be no mistake those people are well known within, uh, within communities and. Um, you know, you have you have law firms that just kind of stay away because of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, this has been a great conversation. Unfortunately, we're at the tail end of our our time together. Uh, what I'd like to do is, when we close out a a um, an interview, is to give you an opportunity to leave like one one lasting piece of advice uh, for our listeners, and I'd like to give you that opportunity to do that. Um, in addition, uh, if you can uh, share with us how somebody can get in touch with you, take the next step with you, uh, or, you know, otherwise, uh, you know, uh, pick your brain, I guess, uh, to, uh, to effectuate change in their firm, um, uh, what would they do?
1: Well, if I can leave one thing, and it's, it's something that I'm a bit passionate about, and if I could have a shameless plug here is uh, I just published my second novel, which is called Walkabout um and uh some of the things that i talk about in the book is it's frankly kind of pulled from conversations i've had with attorneys over the years about mental health um if i if i had one piece of thing that advice that i'd like to be able to to share with people that are out there is um just take care of yourselves um in in the if you do good work you everybody needs to make money everybody's got the stresses everybody's got the uh uh the needs that uh, you have to satisfy by by doing your work um but you could do your work only effectively if you're taking care of yourself and taking care of uh, your health mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And um, you will benefit your family, you'll benefit the people that you work with, but more importantly, you benefit yourself. And, you, and, and however you need to get yourself into that mindset and um, prioritize that, um, that is the most important thing that I would say that people have to do. And if that means that you're at a large law firm and you're getting burned out, but you're making a lot of money, you love practicing law, but you need to take a pay cut to go work somewhere else, figure it out. Uh, if you need to get away for two weeks and, and uh, uh, figure out uh, you know, what you want to do and, and have some time just to walk out into the woods and uh, uh, you know, kind of come back with a, a plan, then do that. Um, but take care of yourself. Um, and it seems like the rest, of it, uh, the rest of
0: it somewhat takes care of itself. Yeah, very, very interesting that you're a, that you're a, an author of novels. That's uh, we, we didn't we didn't get into that at all. Whole nother topic for another day. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. folks, go, go 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 buy the book and, and, and take a read. And, uh, you know, so if you like it, get get the other three novels. Um, <laughs> how does somebody get <laughs> in touch with you and, and, and do, do the next, uh, you know, take the next step with you if they're interested in, in having a conversation?
1: Sure thing. Uh, my website is wilcox-legal.com. You can reach me at andrew at wilcox-legal.com, or you can call me at 850-274-7849. Uh, you could also find me on LinkedIn and, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm easily findable on the Google as well. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Awesome. Andrew, I really uh, appreciate your time today. I enjoyed the conversation. It was uh, something that needs to be talked about. It's well needed. And uh, hopefully it was valuable to folks here. Uh, Folks, if this is your first time listening to the podcast and you enjoyed this conversation, you're definitely going to enjoy a ton of other conversations we've had and a ton that we're going to have. Our interviews uh with guests are on third released on thursdays uh and you can go back where you know well into uh, 300 past episodes so there's a lot of uh great material here for you to binge on and also you want to know the next time that we release a new episode so make sure to hit that subscribe button in your podcast player so you're coming back and tuning in to us every week as we produce this content for you and uh just take the next step whatever it is you know that one of the things that uh, often, we tend to do is we're afraid to take the next step because of what might happen. And uh, I talk about this a lot. And, you know, we, we can have a, additional podcast conversations around it. But all of these conversations that we're having with experts, Andrew included, um, is it gives you information that should, that's we want to help you navigate to a decision. We want to help you take action. Sometimes when we give you information, it, it creates more. Um, uh, more of that, oh, I don't know what's going to happen effect and therefore creates new fear for you to take the next step better to hire somebody and learn from the experience and have it be the wrong person and, and then hire the next the next one, do a better job than to not hire somebody in the first place and never be taking a step in that direction that you need to go. So uh, better to have a conversation with your people and, and have that open line of communication and find out what they need, even if it means that you're not ready to give it to them, than to not have that conversation and have them leave eventually because that you didn't care enough about them to find out what they needed. So everything we just... Discuss today is very relevant but you actually need to take action on it you actually need to do something with it and if i can encourage you to do one thing today is take action on that folks thank you so much for tuning in to us we'll be back next tuesday with a solo episode for me and thursday with another amazing guest interview until then let's just make our journey profitable take care That's it for this week's episode of Profit with Law. If you have enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with at least one person. Imagine how many lives we can change if we each shared this episode. Another way to share the episode is on social media. We appreciate your support and look forward to you joining us again next week.